There was a man named Joseph, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in a diamond shroud and laid it into a cutting stone, for no one had ever yet seen it. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw how the body was laid. Then, then they returned and prepared spices and anointments. On the seventh day, uh, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day of rise. They remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the minor cost by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of God. see in the next part, so Hugo did the first part of the Bible reading, as we shall see in the next part, we see people rise. And the purpose today is that you do not only hear about a risen Christ, but the prayer and the aim, and the longing, the desire is that you too may rise today with him. Now how will that happen? Well, in fact, in the Bible reading that is coming, there is following more, but I think it's too much. If you grasp what is here, it will make you, so to say, drunk of happiness. So we keep the last part for next week to make it complete. So hopefully this will be enough for you for a whole week of joy and comfort. And the next week you come back and you will get even more. Well, um, for those of you who are new today, very welcome. We're so glad that you are here. But we apologize a bit that we are here in the record of Dr. Luke, almost in the end of a book. So if you're new here, you're just coming in in the end of, a, of, a, of an exciting story. Uh, but it's fine that you're there, or uh, this climax can amaze us, or even if you missed what came uh, before. So we are almost at the end of a book here, of a, and in the past weeks, 
say from December and onwards, we have been looking at this book as if we were watching a series and we were excited many times. And now we are almost in the end. And as you see this happen in good series or good books, in the end of the book, we see all the things come back that were there in the beginning. Now, even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, um, you may know how Luke's book started, and I shall show you how many of the things that were there uh, in the beginning are here again. So, what were the first chapters of Luke's Gospel about? You may know that. It's the Christmas story. It's about Mary, uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth. You, you know these things, angels, shepherds, and so on. Now, have a look here. So, um, when Jesus was just born, there was a good and righteous man who took the baby in his arms. And though he was old and perhaps not very able to see much, this man was really able to see a lot spiritually. So this man saw this little child with much more. He's very important. Now, in the end of the book, we see a man called Joseph, and of him it is said, he's a good and righteous person. Well, Luke has never said that before. Oh yeah, he said it about Simeon, that old man in the beginning when the child was there. Here is a man, and he also wants to have the body of Jesus. Jesus died, but the body of Jesus is not trash. He treasures it. He wants to have it. He goes to Pilate, and he wraps it in linen cloth. Hey, wrap, wrap, wrap the body. We heard that, didn't we, when Jesus was born? When Jesus was born, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes by his mother. Now Joseph wraps him in linen clothes, very precious, very honorable. Only the rich could afford that. And then they rested uh, on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. If you read the beginning of Luke's Gospel, this is repeated again and again, uh, according to the commandment. They were Jews, keeping all the commandments. It's, it's still here. Again. Now, in the beginning of Luke's Gospel, it seems there was no future. Why? No future for the world, because there seems to be no future for, for the people of God who should be a blessing for the world. So there was Zechariah and Elizabeth, old people, but they could not have a child. Elizabeth was buried, so the future was blocked, so to say. They were blocked in prison. No future. Now, again, the future seems to be blocked because well, Jesus is behind that big stone. How can there be a future? So, the future again seems to be closed. But hey, you see, as there were angels in the beginning of the book, announcing a hopeful message, reminding of things that had been said before, here are angels again, announcing to the women. There is good news again. What a joy. Good news. The story goes on. And as in the beginning, a, a shepherd went to look, where can we find him? Here we see women looking for him. Where is he? Well, the shepherds were looking at the right place and found him. And these women are looking, but the angels tell them, what are you looking for, the living among the dead? You're not looking at the right place. Among these tombs, you won't find him. So, although there are similar things, there are different things as well. Shepherds, Women, they get the message that he has risen. Very good news. And the women, yeah, they believe. 
see, we heard that before. So if you go back to the beginning of the Gospel, you see women who believe. So Mary, here's the angel, she believes the words. And we have heard about Elizabeth, she also believes. These, these women, they, they believe. Now, what about the man? So, these women, they, uh, they, 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 they believe, they see the linen cloth, they, they believe. Now, now they go to the, uh, to the apostles, the apostles, these men, we have been following them the past time for your information. So three years they have been instructed by Jesus, trained in faith and hope and love. They call, they're called apostles now, they should bless the world. And they hear the good news. Well, yeah, they hear the good news, yeah. How do they respond? Verse 11, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Well, that's quite astonishing, because that's where the book began. So, we saw Zechariah, a priest. He was a very religious man, very serious about his religion, keeping all the commandments of the Lord, and so on. So, yeah, it seems to be, well, very sick. But when an angel appears to him and gives him the good news, he can't believe these things. How, how could you believe such things? Now, that was astonishing. In fact, it explained why the whole situation of Israel was so hopeless. If even God's own people don't have faith, yeah, then how will the world have faith if even the believers don't believe it? So that was the problem where the book began. Now we are almost at the end of the book, and, and, and we hear about the apostles. They, they, they say it seems an idle tale. That's amazing. Later on, in, in, in the second book of Dr. Luke, in the book of Acts, we see the famous apostle Paul preaching in Athens, the city of the philosophers and, the, and all the wisdom and so on. He preaches and he says, The Lord has risen. Well, all these philosophers say, they, they respond like, How can you believe such a thing that a man could rise from the dead? We, we intelligence guys, we can't believe that. Well, in Athens, you would have expected such a response, perhaps. But would you have expected this from the Apostles? They couldn't believe it. It seemed to be an idle tale to them. Well, so, if we would stop reading here, um, there is quite a huge problem here. We are in the end of the book, and the Apostles, they, they, they don't believe it. Like Zechariah. Now you say, but what about Peter? Didn't we hear something about Peter? Yeah, indeed, we heard something about Peter. Peter rose and then to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloak by themselves. He went home marveling at what had happened. So, yeah, didn't Peter believe? Well, yeah, Peter believed that something was going on. So, he was not completely atheist, that it is complete nonsense. He went, he saw the linen cloak, he thought, oh, there must be something. But actually, to be honest, if the great Peter says, my belief is actually that I believe there is something, well, it's more than nothing. But would, would the world be convinced in such a way? So, we now understand that in the end of the book, we can't stop reading here. We should go on, we should learn more, for how will this problem be solved? And why is that relevant? Well, of course it is relevant. I don't know how you are here today, but can you really say wholeheartedly that 
you stand in the faith, that you are really full of joy because of your living Lord? Or is something of the, the sadness, the unbelief, some of these thoughts that these apostles have, it seems so strange, so unbelievable, isn't it there in us as well? Perhaps you have given it a try to believe. Perhaps for years you went to a church and you thought, well, it's more something for the religious ones. I'm not that way. You've given up, perhaps. Or you struggled with a certain sin. Initially you thought, I will fight it, I will conquer it. Then you gave up. You thought, well, others may, may be able to. I won't. I don't have the faith for that. So, in all kinds of ways, something of the unbelief you might know. And, and, and you may think, I have given it so many tries. What, what can help? I was serious about it, but it's still there, so couldn't I better, better, better stop with it, give up about it? Now, I remind you of the fact that Dr. Luke, as a doctor, doctors know about medicine, uh, Dr. Luke wrote this whole gospel for a certain Theophilus. He knew a lot about this, so he had heard about the faith, but he missed the confidence. Now Dr. Luke said, I will write the gospel for you, it's comforting, it's helpful. Actually, I think it's a bit comforting for us, if you struggle with unbelieving thoughts, that the apostles struggled with that as well. However, that's not enough comfort. Our question, of course, is how do we get from there to the joy of Easter? How do we rise with Christ? So, let's listen how the story goes on. Hugo, you're welcome. Said to them, 
O foolish ones, and slow heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer his things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going far, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn with us, within us, while he talked to us on the, on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures, they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found eleven, and those who were saved, who were with them, gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's the word of God. Thank you so much, Philip. So here we see two disciples, they were not of the inner circle, not of the eleven, two. They knew all this unbelief, this sadness, they, they lost their hope in Jesus. Maybe you in some way lost your hope too, to become a believer at all, to fight your sin, to testify your faith to others. You say, it's not something for me. But in this passage we see those two who lost their hope, in the end we see that they rose. They went back to the others, they would preach to them, and so on. So they rose, how did it happen? Could it happen for us as well? That's the big question, of course. Now we see three things in this passage. It's divided in three parts. The first part is that uh, these two are traveling towards the mayors. It's something like 11 kilometers, quite a good walk to have a good conversation. So on the road to Emmaus, then we see something happening in the house at Emmaus, and then we see them go back. Now let us look what is happening there. First, on the road, these two are walking away. Perhaps that happens to you too. So first you were with the others, then you lost your hope, your faith. You said, well, well how could it be meaningful to stay with the other believers? If I don't have that faith, if I don't share it. Well, today I would like to say, even if you're a complete unbeliever, that does not mean that you're not welcome in church. Everyone is welcome. Uh, and you're welcome to ask your questions. I think it would be much more joyful if the, the, the church would every Sunday be filled with all kinds of people asking all kinds of questions. However, these two have made their conclusion, they are traveling home. Now look at Jesus. Jesus had died, given his blood on the cross. He was a priest who became the, the, the sacrificial lamb himself. Then he died. What would he do after he died? With his blood as a true priest, he would plead for, for people like you and me. And then he comes back. God rises him from the dead. And what is this priest, this risen king and prophet and priest, what is he doing? What is Jesus doing? Well, he has work to do. He does the work that priests 
often have failed to do, and I think still God's priestly people fails to do that very often, he is going to look for the lost. So all the disciples are lost, all the eleven, but these two are a bit outsiders of the inner circle. Jesus thinks, let's begin there, with the outsiders. And, and he's walking with them. So as a true shepherd, he's walking with them, though their eyes are kept, they don't see it, they're not aware of it, but Jesus is there. Maybe this is the case with you too. So you didn't see it, you didn't observe it. You lost Jesus, you lost faith, but he didn't lose you. You thought, let's, yeah, let, let it go, but he, he does not let you go. This is how the risen Jesus is. There is work to be done by him, by his priestly people. So perhaps in the book of Ezekiel, the, prophet, the priestly prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel complains that all the leaders are not true shepherds. If somebody goes, they say, well, he's gone. And Ezekiel says, that is not how it should be. So if, this, if some are lost, we should seek for them to find them. So on the way, Jesus draws near. And then what is Jesus doing? While they walk away, does he start to preach to them? I'm sorry, I think I'm most of the time more like a preacher, but that's not what Jesus is doing. So Jesus is asking questions. He has preached enough for now, it seems. So he decides to ask, where are you? Why do you look so sad? Why do you look so sad? Tell your story. Tell what's going on in your heart that you look so sad. Diagnosing questions. The Lord, as a sort of a doctor, he diagnoses. How wonderful. He does not just preach to you. He wants to know where are you? Why do you walk away? What's the reason for that? Well, and then on Jesus' question they begin to answer. By the way, that's the Jewish way to learn to ask questions. That's how God is doing that when people walk away from him. Have you observed this with Adam and Eve? They walk away from him. What does God do? Does he preach to them? No. He says, Adam, where are you? Eve, why? Cain, where's your brother? And so on. God asks questions. Mary, why do you cry? Are you aware that there is a God looking for you? Are you aware that there is God having a question for you? A why? So Jesus diagnoses, and they, they begin to tell. Now, if you listen to them, this is quite amazing, because all the things they tell, it's the whole gospel they tell. They say, well, um, we look so sad because, well, there was Jesus, and we have heard his words. Very good. We have seen his deeds. Oh, great. Um, uh, he was a great prophet. Uh, yeah, he was delivered over. Jesus had told that. He was delivered over. He was crucified. Uh, there were angels. There is a message that he is risen. Uh, there is an empty tomb. There are linen clothes. And so what's the problem? That they got it all, but they but they lost the hope. So we hope he came to release, to redeem Israel. Very good. That's where the gospel started. Uh, God has remembered his covenant. He comes to redeem Israel. Now why did you lose your hope? Why? Well, the diagnosis comes in the last word. And, and I think it's very insightful for us as well. This shows us that to become a believer is not just something like having all the information. 
They have all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. No, no pieces are missing. But still, they're not believers. So, to become a believer is not just a head and mind thing, it's also a heart thing. Something in the heart is going wrong. Why is something in their hearts going wrong? Listen to their very last word. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. What it was, see? They say, well, it's a wonderful message, of course, but when nobody sees it, how can we believe without just seeing it all? Well, that's the moment that Jesus decides to go from diagnosing to dealing with the problem, and actually a new sermon, new preaching is needed. It's quite severe preaching for, for, for Easter. I don't know what sermon you would have expected, but Jesus' first sermon on Easter day it begins with foolish ones, slow of heart. It's quite critical. Yeah, perhaps we need that. We need some heart, uh, heart treatment. We, we have heart problems. In, in believing. It's not just mental. Something in our heart refuses to believe the words of God. So we want to decide by what we see, what is good and wrong, what is true and what is not true. That that began already with Adam and Eve. If you read that whole story, they judged by what they saw about what God had said. That is where everything went wrong. So Jesus decides that needs to be dealt with. So as Jesus has risen, he has been in heaven, he has brought forgiveness for the sin of unbelief. He now wants to give them his gifts that he has gotten from the Father. And what is the first gift we need and that we all lack? We need the gift of faith. Now how will it be given to us? How will our hearts believe? Well, as unbelief came by we then see and Jesus says, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. If you want to have cure for your heart, open your ears. Yes, God is a speaking God in a world where you can't see him. But you can hear him. So, if you judge what you hear about God by what you see, oh, that war going on in Ukraine, my own pain from cancer, um, did you know what, I, what happened to me? All the things I've seen, how can I believe those words? If you judge what you hear by what you see, everything goes wrong. But if you begin by what you hear in the scriptures, then everything will fall on its place. That's what Jesus is doing. He opens up the Bible for them. He says, you need the scriptures. You need the scriptures. Let me open them. Why are you not able to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the King, because he was suffering so much. Now, I don't deny that it is a sad thing that he suffered so much, but why can't, why can't you continue to believe? Let me take you into the Scriptures. You believe in the Messiah? So, which was the first very redeeming person in the Bible? Oh, Joseph. Think of Joseph, that wonderful king, saviour for his brothers and even for the world when there was hunger. 
Was he immediately given so much authority and power by Pharaoh? No. Think of Joseph's story. It was a long story of suffering, rejected by his brothers, imprisoned, and so on. So the Messiah, he would be a son of David, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. Now, was David immediately back into the throne? Remember the story of David. It seemed almost all of his life he was rejected. He was always suffering, persecuted by Saul, and so on. He wanted to kill him. So, shouldn't the Messiah suffer? Now, what kind of a Messiah do we expect? What kind of a Messiah did the prophets promise us? If you go to Isaiah 52, yeah, there we see that Messiah we long for, the one who would bring peace and joy and faith back. Isaiah 52, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Yes, that's the Messiah we long for, but we didn't see it. We saw that he suffered and died. Yeah, we wrong in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and so on. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he shall bear their iniquities. So, Jesus opened up the scriptures. What is the human problem? It's universal. It's not only in Athens, it's also in Jerusalem. It's the problem of unbelief. Now, what do we need? We need that only servant of God who casts the faith, even on the cross. He holds fast to his father, even when his father hides his face from him, even when he died to take away our sins of unbelief. He kept believing, and therefore God rose him from the dead. Now, the first gift he is coming to give after he has made reconciliation for our sins, and this priest comes back out of the sanctuary, he comes to give faith. How? By teaching and preaching the scriptures. For Jews, that was the normal thing, by the way. You went with your sins, with your unbelief, to the temple. A man or an animal would be sacrificed. The priest would go in with the blood. He would make atonement so that you could be forgiven. He would come out. He would say, the sins are forgiven, peace to you. And then he would begin to teach you so that your faith would come stronger, so that when he would send you away with a blessing, that you would stand strong in the faith. Now see what the risen Lord Jesus is doing. He's preaching. <coughs> he shows, listen to the word of God and everything will begin to fall in its place. You will get it right. So this is what he's doing to you too. God tells you he's there. Jesus tells you he has died for your sins. He has risen to give you faith, even when you lack it. And that's the moment that they arrive at Emmaus, and Jesus says, Okay, I've preached. Now I will go on. I will say goodbye to you when the evening comes. Now, what would you do then? Actually, I believe the Lord is telling us this, perhaps to you, telling this to Netherlands, telling this to Europe. I've been preaching to you, perhaps 1,500 years or so, you have heard the gospel. So many preachers. Perhaps it's time for me now to go on to those countries that have heard the gospel for 150 years. 
or even 15 years, or just one and a half years. There's more. There are more lost people to be found. So the Lord tells you, I'm going. What is your response to that? If the evening draws near, if the night is coming, well, that is what will happen. Before the morning of God's kingdom comes the next book in your life. Over the world, are you ready for that? Look at these men and their response. Might their response be your response? He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day of no fast stands. So, in some way, it's hospitable of them to welcome in Jesus for the night, but actually it is hospitable of Jesus to stay with them when the night is coming. We need it, that Jesus stays with us. As the people in the temple would love it, the priest would not only teach them, but afterwards they would eat together to have fellowship. So the man of God, the man who was with God, would eat with them so that there would be a fellowship with God, God's man, and, and, and with them. And that's exactly what happens. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, it must have been Maksa, unleavened bread, it were the Easter days. So he was at table with them, he took such a Maksa, and then he blessed the Jewish blessing. Then he breaks it, he gives it, and their eyes are open. They, they see him, and immediately he is so now they have gone from unbelief to faith, to, to, to see, to joy, to, to rise up. Now how should we see that? That they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. To be honest, I have preached quite a lot of times about this passage and I said, well, that's a good reason to have Holy Communion, isn't it? So, so let's have Holy Communion. Now that's a very good thing. So next week we'll, we'll have Holy Communion, so you're very welcome to come then to break the bread. But is that the point? Is the point of Jesus celebrate Holy Communion more often than perhaps probably you will see the risen Lord? Well, there is a problem here. First, so they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. First, if you walk back to the passage about Jesus uh, instituting the Holy Communion. It does not say that Jesus blessed. In Luke's Gospel it says he gave thanks. It's a bit similar, but it was different. But there is a greater problem. These two, they were not at Holy Communion when Jesus installed Holy Communion. They are not, they are not belonging to the eleven, so Jesus celebrated with the twelve. These two were not there. How can you remember something where you have never been. I think that's a problem. So probably the point of this passage is not so much let's celebrate Holy Communion, it's something different. Then what is it? Well, these two remembered probably a different thing. Evening was coming, night would come, and these two have been elsewhere. When evening was coming, when night was coming, a lot of disciples around Jesus the disciples said to Jesus, send them away, they, they must take care of themselves. No, no, said Jesus, I'm the shepherd, so you feed them, you give them something to eat. And then Jesus took the bread, he blessed, yeah, there it says he blessed, 
he wrote it, he gave it to them. So what happens here? It's a reminder. It's a flashback. They think like, oh, he's still there. So they remember the words, the deeds, and then they are in the story again. They got that faith back. And so they, they rise up. How wonderful they rise up and they make the whole travel of 11 kilometers back to Jerusalem in the night to proclaim the risen Lord and the amazing thing that happens then, they think, well, we can establish them in the faith, but they are really established because they tell them, he is risen, we already know it. And that's what a good church service would do. You come there perhaps to encourage each other, but others will encourage you too. So we are at the end of the book now. But we should be aware first of the big problem that was still there. It's in all of us. Don't be ashamed of that. So you can think, some people are very religious. They seem to be the good believers. Yeah, but look at the heart of Zechariah. Look at the heart of the apostles. The same thing that the people of Athens had. It's in all of us. But the risen Lord has risen to deal with them. He's there. He wants you to hear his voice. That he died for us. He, the faithful one. He who didn't lose the faith. He took our place. He couldn't see anything any longer when they covered his head. When the darkness came, when he died. He did it all that he might rise so that you might rise. We are at the end, but it seems things are just beginning. The fire is not gone. The fire is beginning to be kindled. And may it be so with all of us today.